Amen. Church, take your seats. Now, I notice there's a lot of new faces. Praise God for this. Um, Some of you may not know me. My name is Kevin, and I have the privilege of serving here at Hope. And uh, tonight, by God's grace, I uh, have the privilege of opening God's word with you all. Well, church, it's getting near the end of January, and be honest with me here, who has made a New Year's resolution, right? Who here has made a New Year's resolution? Yeah, a couple, a couple, okay. Well, listen, if, if, you're, if you've been able to keep it so far, you're actually doing really, really well, okay? I had to dig deep to find some statistics on this, but it seems that about 40% of people who even make resolutions, like 40% of those people actually expect to fail by February. Like before February, they expect they're probably going to fail. And actually, almost one in four people who make resolutions, they, they actually quit within the first week of setting their goal. How's that for perseverance? Yeah. Like, I looked for some reliable statistics on New Year's resolutions, right? And like, it seems pretty agreeable. Men's health, women's health, a bunch of magazines, they, they all seem to agree that by far the top three most common New Year's resolutions are this. Eat healthier, exercise more. I, the laughs, I know, because we all try, right? Eat healthier, exercise more, and get organized. Now, I mean, I'm sure that's of absolutely no surprise to anyone, right? Those seem like pretty good, reasonable, common goals to have, right? Eat healthier, exercise more, get organized. That's, I mean, you could pretty much put anything else in your day-to-day life under those categories to, to get right order. It's not surprising at all. But what's most interesting to me is this, just how much these three things apply to the scripture that we're going to be looking at today and to the life of a Christian. So our scripture today is found in Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. You turn there in your Bibles now, and listen, if you don't have a Bible, our ushers are coming around with Bibles. Put your hand up if you don't have a Bible. You're going to need it today, okay? You're going to need it. And if you don't have a Bible at home, That is our gift to you. Please keep that so that you can be in God's word daily. It is a joy to give that to you. Acts 2, 42 to 47. Now, when speaking about this passage, one commentator summarized that that this passage is basically the diet and the exercise regimen of a healthy body of Christ. And what we see so clearly is that the call of the gospel is a call to be distinct from the world. You see, our diet, right, eat healthier, our diet and our exercise regimen of how we live our lives as Christ's witnesses, both individually and corporately together as the church. It's not to look like the world at all. It's not to look like the world. Our order and priority are to be God's right order. Why is that? Because we are called to an uncommon distinction. That's the title of today's message, an uncommon distinction. But there's a problem. 
We don't often live with an uncommon distinction from the world. Often we actually look just like the world. How different, be honest with yourself, how different do we really look from the world? How different do we look in our parenting? Right? How, how, how different do we look in our work ethic? How different do we look in our speech, in our values, in the priorities that we keep? How different does the world actually see us? Do we look different? Do we look distinct from the world? You see, instead of living faithfully as Christ's witnesses in the world, we often embody more of the values and priorities of the world. And what's the result of that? The result of living like the world is looking like the world. We live with division, not unity, right? We live with division instead of unity. We live with selfishness instead of generosity. We live with pride instead of humility that we're called to. We grumble instead of having joy in the Lord, like we just sang, there's joy in the house of the Lord today. That's the joy we have. We're, we're looking for man's glory, seeking it wherever we can, instead of seeking God's glory, because he is the one who deserves it. This leads us to our big idea for today, which I trust you'll see from scripture, is this, it's going to be on the screen The big idea from this text, because the church is called to adorn the gospel, we must live with uncommon distinction. Because the church is called to adorn, let's put on the gospel, we must live with uncommon distinction. And from our text today, I trust that you're going to see three ways that we as the church are called to live faithfully as Christ's witness. As we live with the uncommon distinction of the gospel, and as we see God advance his kingdom for his glory in us and through us. Would you stand with me to read God's word? Let's stand and read it together with me. Kids, if you have your Bibles ready, read it with me. Right? If you can't read yet, that's perfectly fine. You say the parts you know. Sounds good? Let's do it. Let's do it. Acts 2, verse 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord, church. Praise to God. You may be seated. Now let's get some some context here for our scripture today. You see, there has just been an enormous transformation and revival in the world in Acts 2. As we heard last week, 
right? As we heard last week, we heard all about this revival, not to mention the transformation of the world through Christ's life and death and resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins, which happened in this text right here. That happened just 50 days earlier, just 50 days earlier. And then in Acts 1, we see Christ's ascension to glory, And in Acts 2, we then have the Holy Spirit given to the disciples in the upper room. Last week, we heard about Peter's sermon at Pentecost. That's the result of that Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit coming and dwelling within them. The sermon at Pentecost where the Holy Spirit worked powerfully to save and transform 3,000 new believers. 3,000 new believers in one day. Right? The, the church transformed from, uh, before that day, there, was, there were about 120 believers, just a few more. In the whole world, there were 120 Christians, just a few more than us here today. And the Holy Spirit worked powerfully through the sermon at Pentecost to convict souls and bring 3,000 people to Christ. The church grew 25 times over in a day. And then these six verses here that we just read, they detail the life of the early church. And in many ways, they detail the uncommon distinctions that the church today is called to live out. That big idea again, because the church is called to adorn the gospel. That means to put on the gospel, to exemplify the gospel, to be clothed in it so that it's what people see Because the church is called to adorn the gospel, we must live with uncommon distinction. You see, the church that lives with uncommon distinction lives with this. Point one for today. The church that lives with uncommon distinction lives with uncommon devotion. That's that workout, right? Work it out. That's the exercise we talked about. Let's read verse 42 and 43. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. You see, church, everyone is devoted to something. Everyone's devoted to something. But the church distinct in Christ works out his priorities. Ask yourselves today, church, are you devoted to them? Are you devoted to Christ's priorities? Now, did you catch that order of Christ's priorities in verse 42? There's a list. Look back at the text and read verse 42. We're called to uncommon devotion. So what are you devoted to? This is the order of devotion that the gospel calls us to. And right here, we see four distinct devotions that right godly order leads to. Let's look at the text. It says, and they, that's the believers, they devoted themselves. Devoted means continued steadfast in. They persevered in a fixed direction. It doesn't mean they casually held on to the coattails of. It doesn't mean they said, this group over here is friendly. I'll hang out with them. They devoted, continued steadfast, persevered with a singular Focus. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, the apostles were those directly commissioned by Christ, those who walked with him, those who walked with Christ. 
were and are the only apostles. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That is sound doctrine and instruction. It's the true gospel given directly to the apostles by Christ. So the first devotion we see here, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is the word of God. This is our nutrition. This is what we need to consume. You see, any, any good trainer is going to tell you when you, you know, you sign up, you know, for your gym membership in January that you are for sure going to stick with for the rest of the year. Uh, when you sign up for that and you talk to a trainer, right, any good trainer is going to tell you that it starts with nutrition, okay? You can't just consume calories, right, and expect your muscles to grow. You need the right food. Without enough protein, you can actually lose muscle just by working out, right? You can actually lose muscle tissue instead of building it. You work out all you want, try all you want. You won't gain any strength and endurance without the right food. Likewise, without the word of God, without the truth of the gospel that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, as a gift from God when we believe in Christ Jesus alone, that he is God incarnate, who came to earth and lived and died and rose again so that all who believe in him can be saved from the penalty of sin. Without that truth, without that good food, we can try on our own strength. We can try on our own effort and never get there. We will never please God in our own strength. We will never truly worship him in the freedom that the true word of God brings. What's that freedom? That's freedom from anxiety. That's freedom from fear. That's freedom from condemnation because there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. There is only the Holy Spirit convicting us so that we can grow in Christ-likeness for his glory. Sound teaching and doctrine from the true word of God is the nutrition that our soul longs for. And that true order leads us to the next devotion we see in Scripture. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. So that that word there, the fellowship, the Greek word for that is koinonia. We've said that before here at church. Koinonia, that's us right here. That's the church. The church gathered in the name of God for the glory of Jesus Christ. And what it means is an active partnership, an active participation together. It doesn't mean because we're all gathered, we are that koinonia, that fellowship. It means we actively participate. We gather together for the purpose of glorifying Christ, being together and encouraging each other. Ephesians 4 tells us all about this. It tells us about unity in the faith, about service to one another, bearing one another's burdens It tells us about different roles of service in the church. Teaching and then fellowship. You see, gospel fellowship isn't just getting together for an hour and a half here, singing some songs and then hearing me speak as if that's going to change anything in your life and then going home to get back to your life. That's that's not what it is. Even if this part here was done in true worship, If it was done in proper worship to God, it's not meant to be the only fellowship between us in our week. Right here isn't meant to be the only fellowship. This is meant to be the overflow 
and the joyous culmination of a week spent in fellowship, in service, and in Christian community together. This, this is the celebration of what Christ has done. That's what this is. This is a celebration of a life lived with Christ. This, this isn't the only thing we're called to do as a fellowship. This is the celebration of the fellowship that we have in the unity of the Holy Spirit. Now let's look back, to, back at the text here. You see, we're called to distinction in Christ, working out his priorities, teaching from the truth of God's word about him, fellowship, which is the partnership and active participation together in service and worship of him. And now we see here in verse 42, let's look again at the text, the teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread. We have teaching, fellowship, and the third, the third right order of devotion we have here is remembrance. Remembrance of him and what he has done for us. The breaking of bread here is the Lord's Supper of remembrance for what he has done for us on the cross. Taking on the punishment of sin, which we deserved, which I deserved. Dying in our place so that we can be forgiven if we believe in him. Isn't it easy to forget what Christ has done for us when, when the going gets tough? We leak so fast after we get, we get topped up, we read, we, we, we praise God, we learn, but then we forget so quickly. We forget so quickly what Christ has done for us. We forget when we face the trials. We forget when all of the busy distractions are in front of us, demanding our attention and diverting our eyes, right? Diverting our eyes from the prize of Jesus Christ. We've said it many times you see, the devil doesn't need to destroy a Christian to make, make them ineffective. He doesn't have to destroy us. All he has to do is distract us. When we're distracted, we're off mission and we're ineffective. When we're distracted from the priorities that Christ has given us, we're distracted from worshiping him and we're ineffective. Remembering often is important. Remembering often is important. Just like we see here in Philippians 3.14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That upward call, right? remember who Jesus is, remember what he's done, and remember where our goal is. Our goal isn't this world. Our goal, our prize is eternity forever with him. That's what we remember, and we remember it often, eternity with our Savior. See, this is one of the main things when we talk about fellowship. This is one of the main things we're called to do in fellowship together, is to encourage each other in the gospel, encourage each other in what Christ has done, encourage each other in remembrance of all that he promises, all that he promises to bless. This is one of the main things that we are to do in fellowship, in the words that we say, in the songs that we sing, in our actions, we're to remember what Christ has done. And so being taught the word of God, the sound word of God, living in gospel fellowship with one another, remembering all that Christ has done, we see the fourth devotion, the fourth priority Christ has called us to. 
This is the right response to knowing our need for him, knowing our dependence on him. Look back at your Bibles near the end of verse 42. What does it say the fourth one is? What's the fourth one? The breaking of bread and the prayers. Isaiah 56 verse 7, you'll see it on the screen here. It says this, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. It doesn't say my house shall be casually known as or sometimes acquainted with. It shall be known. This is what we're to be known for. We're to be known and marked as a house where we pray to God, where all peoples, all tribes and tongues gather to pray and call on the Lord. That's what we're to be known as. This is both in private prayer and this is in corporate prayer together. This is regularly throughout the day. This is the various elements of of the Lord's Prayer as taught to the apostles by Jesus to pray in adoration. Adoration just declaring who Christ is. Declaring what he's done. Declaring his glory, his holiness, his majesty. to To be adoring him. To be confessing to him. Confessing our sin and repenting and turning from it. We're to be giving giving praise and prayer to God in thanksgiving, thanking him for all that he's done. And finally, to ask of him in supplication. Supplication means asking God for what he's promised to bless. So we see clearly that right order and devotion, we see what it is, we see where it leads us to, and then here in verse verse 43, we see the right response to right godly order. Look at your Bibles. Verse 43, what does it say? And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Many wonders and signs being done through the apostles. This awe that we read about here, this isn't, ah, okay, that's cool. This is reverent fear of the Lord for how mighty he is, right? A reverent fear and amazement of what he does. Awe here is an, a reverent fear of God. That means knowing how mighty and holy he is, sinless and perfect, and that I don't measure up to that. I don't meet that standard That's the reverent fear, the reverence for who he is. That means respect, but a joy and a delight knowing that he loves me if I am in him in Jesus Christ. Awe came upon every soul. That's every person, not just in your mind, right? It's not an intellectual like, oh, I see that that's happening and that is, I can't explain that. So, I, yeah, I'm in awe. No, that is, that is on every soul. That's the very, soul here means the very uh, heart of our being. Awe came upon every soul. And probably this didn't just include the, the 3,120 Christians. This probably included many mockers and scoffers who sadly did not repent, but nevertheless were in awe of what was happening. They could not explain it. All of the mighty works that God was doing. They were still in silence, in awe of what God was doing, both in fellowship and 
in the wonders and signs, that supernatural works that the Holy Spirit was doing through the apostles. Now, what was the purpose of this? What was the purpose of these wonders and signs? Well, it wasn't to make the apostles look powerful. That wasn't the purpose. The purpose of these wonders and signs were, were to authenticate the gospel message and to show God's power and love as the church was breaking into the world. They were for the purpose of authenticating God's power. We're going to see next, next message in this series is a lame beggar healed, something that only Jesus Christ had done previous to that, right? to authenticate that this is the gospel message from God. That's the purpose of these signs and wonders. Now these, these are our priorities. Right? These are our priorities. So how do we see them being worked out in the church today? How do we see these priorities, right? Of teaching, of fellowship, of remembrance, and of prayer. Well, if you've been here at Hope for any amount of time, you'll know that we love God's word. And every Saturday, God's word is opened. You're going to hear it preached. Not, not my words, not my ideas or thoughts, but God's word open and exposed. Bibles open together. I hope that what you're seeing today from this message is clear, that this is what this, this scripture is talking about. It should be clear. Fellowship is another huge thing for us all. We love, this is a church that loves serving, loves living and loving and worshiping together regularly and encouraging each other in remembrance of Christ and all that he has done for us. And prayer, you see, prayer isn't something you'll notice if you've been here any amount of time. Prayer isn't something we tack on to the end or we bookend what we do with prayer. We, we aim to be, we, said that we say this a lot, but we believe it. We aim to be not just a church that prays, but a praying church. Right? A praying church. This is something that's supposed to be in the fabric of who we are. It's supposed to be in our DNA that we pray. You see, it's still on the screen, Isaiah 56, 7. My house shall be called. It shall be known as. If it's known for anything, this church should be known as a house of prayer dependent on Christ, admitting that we have nothing to offer, but we have everything to offer because we have Christ in us. We're to be known as a house of prayer. You see, the church distinct in Christ works out his priorities with uncommon devotion. Are you devoted to them? These are his priorities. Are you devoted to these things? How's your gospel workout regimen going? How are you working out the gospel in your life? Are you working it out? Are you devoted to spending time in the word as your most important priority each day? Is that a priority to you? Be honest. Is it a priority to you to be in the word every day? Are you devoted to fellowship in the church, making gathering with the saints a priority on Saturdays? But also, remember we said, this is the celebration here, right? This is the culmination. So yes, making, making gathering together as a body of believers in Christ, making it a priority now on Saturday, right? Coming prepared with a heart that's prayed up and primed for worship, but also through the week. What about small group? Is small group a priority to you? 
What about other midweek things? There's youth ministry, praise God. They're on a retreat right now. Pray for them. I, I have heard great things. I have heard great reports that God is working powerfully and that that group is worshiping together and there's no better thing. They meet midweek. What about prayer nights? Are they a priority? Does your week show a priority that's in God's right order? How about a devotion to remembering the gospel? Remembering the gospel in the trials especially. Remember we leak. We're so quick to forget when it gets hard. What about encouraging others in it when they're in trial? Calling others saying, hey, I want to pray for you. How can I be praying for you? How can I be supporting you? How can I be helping you and loving you? Are you devoted to the priority of prayer? Prayer in your homes, prayer in your workplace, prayer with your spouse, prayer with your brothers and sisters here. What about on prayer night? Are you devoted to that? Does that define your devotion? Would you say in your week, does your time spent reflect that? That's what God calls us to. You see, the church that lives with uncommon distinction first lives with uncommon devotion. That's the workout, right? Work it out. Okay. I do this like I know what I'm doing, but I haven't seen the inside of a gym in a long time. That should probably change. I'm going to make a resolution and keep it. Are you working out that uncommon devotion? And the outflow of devotion is this. Uncommon generosity. Meet the need. Verse 44 and 45. Look at your Bibles with me. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. I just love tacking that on. That's, that's going to be the result they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. You see, the church distinct in Christ has all things in common. Will you meet the need? You see, the world says, what does the world say about this, right? The world says, get everything you want. Get everything you can, right? Get, earn everything you want. You got to grind hard and get everything you want. Maybe even get everything you deserve, as if we deserve anything, right? The world says, get everything you can, as if that's going to satisfy your soul. We talked about that. The nutrition that our soul longs for is the word of God, Right? As if it'll satisfy our soul getting everything we want. But what does the gospel say? The gospel we're to put on says this. God will supply all my needs. God will supply all my needs. The world says, make sure you put yourself first. Make sure you have enough me time, enough downtime. But the gospel tells us this. All time is God's time. It's a blessing from him. All time is God's time. And he is returning soon. So it's go time. There needs to be an urgency. There needs to be an urgency with this. Verse 44. And all who believed were together. All who believed. That's the local church. Just like we're doing right now. They were together. They were physically together. Like we are in this room. They were physically together. 
Zoom wasn't invented yet. It's a useful tool for a time when it's needed. And I praise God that right now we don't have to meet like that. They were physically together. They were all locally together and then also in several congregations as the church grew there was the necessity for, for congregations to gather. And we see that in the church today. We don't all, as Christians, gather in one spot. Praise God, as Christianity is growing and breaking into the world, I'm sure that would cause some sort of like a, too much weight on one side of the earth and it would all move like when you all go to one side of a, a ship and the boat tips or something like that. We can't all be together in one place, but we can be in local congregations as God raised up leaders preachers and teachers who could shepherd the flocks that God called them to. They had all things in common. You see here, all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, this doesn't mean that they personally like, owned nothing, right? That, that's not what this means. It doesn't mean they didn't own anything. It means that they stewarded all that God had given them with open hands, Right? It's not this right here. This isn't a legal requirement to not own anything. No, this is, this is to a requirement, a culture. This isn't a legal requirement, but a culture, right? Not out of coercion. If it's a legal requirement, you're coerced. You're not going to be a joyful giver if you're coerced into it. No, this is a culture of radical, uncommon generosity, Meyer's New Testament commentary just sums this up like this. They had a prevailing willingness to place private property at the disposal of the church. We see that right in scripture. James chapter 1 says every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, is from God. Right? God is the one who's given it to us. He's the one that's blessed us with it. And why has he blessed us with it? He's blessed us with it for two reasons. So that we can know how loving he is by receiving and know how loving he is by giving. God gives so that we can know his character and also give to others. He blesses us so that we can bless others. The purpose of this is to know him more. The purpose is to know his character to love others just as he has loved us. Look back at the text here. They had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That's not as any had wants, right? That's not as, as any had coveted for something and just wanted to get it for themselves. It's as anyone had need. Now this raises an important question. Church, how do you know if there's a need? How do you know if someone has a need? The only way you know if someone has a need is if you know them. That's the only way you're going to know a need. You can't just look at someone and say, well, that guy wears the same t-shirt and jeans every day uh, that I see him. That's usually true for me. I actually have like 12 of the same shirt because I just, I think it's a good shirt. I like it and I don't really need any more shirts, but right? You can't just look at someone you can't judge a book by its cover, no matter how bland and repetitive its cover is in my case. You have to know per a person to meet the need, not just know their name. That's a really good place to start. Right, that's a really good friendly place to start. We all feel really good when we go somewhere and, and someone remembers our name. That's a really good skill to have. 
But you, you don't just, you, you don't know the needs if you don't know the person. You have to have a real relationship with them. I, I know some of my coworkers and that I know their hobbies and things because that's what they choose to talk about. Some of them, I, I, I wouldn't know their, their personal life. That's something to grow in, certainly. Right? You have to have a real relationship with them. Recall back in verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to participating in life together. Day by day, week by week, month by month, knowing each other. And of course, as a side point to that, part of, part of knowing each other, part of true fellowship is not just to know, but to be known. To allow yourself to be known. To allow yourself to be vulnerable. Allowing yourself to be known imperfect as you are. You see, the church isn't full of perfect people. Right? The church is not full of perfect people. The church is full of people who have been saved by Christ for radical generosity. Out of radical love for him. You see, the church isn't just blessed when God uses you to meet a need. Right? That's, that's only half at best. The church being blessed when you meet a need. But the church is also blessed when God shows his love for you through us meeting your needs. Your needs are an opportunity for us. Right? There, there are no perfect Christians. No one is without need. No one was, is without any needs at all. God will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, and he chooses to do that through the church. So how do we meet these needs? What does it look like to have all things in common? God has given us all the same three ways to do this. We all have the same three ways to meet a need. We might all have different strengths, different weaknesses, different gifts, different, he's, he's, he's called us all, we have different gifts, capacities to do things, right? We all have different abilities, but we all have three ways to do it. They fall in, into either this, time, talent, or treasure. Let's read. And all who believed... So everyone has time, talent, and treasure. Everyone has a gift to contribute to the church. For the glory of Christ, all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Look at that. That's a beautiful picture. That's a beautiful picture of fellowship. Like, this is a, that fellowship, this is a fellowship train that you want to be on. You want to be on this bandwagon of fellowship, right? This, this is, look, look what God is doing just in fellowship in this church body alone. We have Hope Kids expanding to grade five next week. Praise God. Kids, who, who of you here are in grade five or below? Yeah, you, you guys get to go to Hope Kids next week. And praise God that the way he's allowed it with the number of workers we have, we also, we're not like, losing you guys to, to Hope Kids. Not that that's even a thing, right? But we get to have you there for two weeks and then back with us for one. I'm so glad at the way that God has worked to do that. Hope Kids is being expanding to grade five. Hope Youth are on a, a retreat right now. 
right? Praising God together with hundreds of other students, hundreds of other youth together from the GCC churches and, and beyond, I believe, right? We have countless times in this church. This is a picture of this fellowship train that we're on here. Countless times, people opening their homes for meals, opening their homes for, for laundry when a machine breaks, right? We have people lending vehicles out if someone's vehicle is broken, right? We have people holding the gifts that God has given, the blessings God has given with very open hands saying, God, how would you use this for your glory, right? We have, we have people opening their homes for showers, for a hot meal, for, for internet when a storm rips through the city, right? We have people that are so, they're not just like willing to open their homes, but they're excited to open their homes. These are people in this church who have the clear gifts of hospitality who jump at the chance to serve each other. That is the radical generosity that adorning the gospel brings out. We have the blessing of blessing other church plants with finances, with resources, just as we have also been blessed. We have the largest Christmas offering that this church has ever received at the exact time when we stepped out in faith, in prayer, and in faith to expand the ministry budget. God provides for those needs, and that's because God is in control, and this fellowship praises him and seeks his priorities with the gifts that he has given. This doesn't happen by accident, and it doesn't even happen of our own volition. It happens because God is good, and he loves to give good gifts to his people so that we can also bless others. So there's the question, church. Will you meet the need? What needs has God put around you? There are always needs. What needs has God put around you that you might be the answer to someone else's prayer for? God often chooses to answer the prayers of his people through his people. Where would you meet the need? Where would you meet the need? See, the church distinct in Christ has all things in common. Will you meet that need? How would God have you order your day? How would God have you order your week? How would he have you spend time in service and fellowship in the church and outside of the church? How would God have you use the talents that he has given you to serve others? Where would he have you maybe even trust him and step out and try something new? There are so many people in this church who love serving and who are very gifted at serving who never started out with those gifts. They never started out knowing how to do those things. They took a step of faith and said, there's a need, and I'm going to see if that's where I'm called to, to meet it. Right? And, and Church, hear me. Your competency at something is far less important than your character of faithfulness and willingness to be used by God with it and in it. Your, your competency can be trained. Your competencies can be discovered. Your competencies may not even be as important as you think in the role that God has called you to because the number one thing that is important is your character, your love for Christ first, your love for others before yourself. That 
is God's priority, and that is what this church needs more of. Your character, not, not your specific competencies. God can, can, can grow in you a talent, a gift beyond your even being able to imagine if that's his will. It's the character. It's the character that matters. How would God have you use the treasures that he's blessed you with to bless the church and to bless others? You'll see on the screen a quote from David Platt, a very convicting quote. You see, there is never going to be a day when you stand before God and he looks at you and says, I wish you would have kept more for yourself. That day is not coming. It's never going to happen. Right? It's never going to happen. You're, never, you're not going to get to the finish line right? and, and be before God and say, God, I don't know if you see this, but look how much... Look how much junk I accumulated. Huh? It's not a priority. It's not God's priority. It isn't. The church that lives with uncommon distinction lives with uncommon devotion, number one. That's the workout, right? That's our workout. Uncommon generosity, that's meeting the need, okay? That's going for it, meeting the need. And obviously, the outflow of this the outflow of knowing just how good God is, what do we do with it? We tell others. We tell people. That's what we do with it. We tell people. The church that lives with uncommon distinction lives with this uncommon witness. Verse 46 to 47, read with me in your Bibles. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Day by day, those who were being saved. You see, the church distinct in Christ lives on mission. Will you live on it day by day? Not just Saturday evenings, day by day. And it's not just, it's not simply, well, you know, witnesses for like an evangelism team, or that's something that the pastor does, right? Or, you know, excuse me, once, once the church has an outreach ministry, Right? Maybe once the church has an outreach ministry, then I'll go. That sounds good. That, that, then I'll go and join that ministry, right? No, 99% of witness is this, day by day. Day by day, both in the declaration of the gospel with our lips and the demonstration of the gospel with our lives. Day by day, declaring the gospel and living in the truth of the gospel. You see, day by day here, it doesn't, it doesn't mean just Sunday mornings, or in our case, Saturday evenings. Which, you know, for the early church, they were mostly meeting Saturday evenings too. So I guess we're pretty orthodox here. It's not just for specific outreach nights. Although specific times of that focus can have value, of course they can. Specific pushes and nights where we're going to go outreach in this specific community or this specific event or area, they, they can have value. But again, that's to be the exception, not the rule. Day by day, living everyday life, not as ordinary, but as an extraordinary 
on-mission gospel witness. And day by day, they were attending the temple together. Hebrews 10 tells us, do not forsake meeting together. See, on your own, church, on your own isn't enough. Okay, on your own isn't enough. Christian life is meant to be lived in community and in corporate worship, gathering together like we are all here in person, right? Online was an amazing tool during COVID that God blessed us to have to be able to continue to meet together in the capacity we were able to. It's also a great tool if you were serving and you missed the sermon and you want to catch up. It's a great tool if you are trying to brush up on it for doing your small group questions. It's a great tool if you're sick, if you're away, if you're on a holiday somewhere and you want to stay plugged into the church. But online only, it's not meant to be. On People listening online, come. We would love to have you worship with us. It's not meant to be done on your own. Christian life is meant to be lived in community. The temple then in those days was also the hub of a lot of daily life. Right? It was, it was a, a hub of a lot of daily life. So they were day by day witnessing in community together. Let's read on. Day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Breaking bread, that's that remembrance, right? In fellowship meals together. They were doing it in their homes. They were hospitable. The church is called to be hospitable. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. What's that? What's a, what's a glad and generous heart? If you're glad and generous, that's joy. Right? That's, that's living with joy. Glad is thankful. Right? And generous means not selfish, not taking any more than you need. Right? It's, it's a life of joy. Breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Verse 47, look at your Bibles. It says, what did they do? Praising God. That's worship. Worship and thankfulness are to be the marks of a Christian. Praising God and having favor with all the peoples. They had favor with believers and non-believers alike. They all witnessed the love of Christ in them and through them. And they had favor with believers and non-believers alike. This is the same call for us today. You'll see on the screen, John 13, verse 34 to 35. Jesus says this, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Why? If you have love for one another. See, just as Christ commanded and he exemplified perfectly, Christians are to show extraordinary love as a primary defining characteristic. It's to define us as that those people are very loving. Even if that's, those people are really loving and it's kind of weird. That's a good weird to be known for. That's a really good weird, right? To be distinct from the world in love. You see, Christ exemplified it perf perfectly. Love is to be an extraordinarily defining primary characteristic. You see, this, this actually so defined the early church. It was so woven into the fabric of who they were. Right? It was just what they did. We actually have a record from the mid-300s A.D., 
okay, of then emperor of Rome, Julian. He was the emperor of Rome at that time, and he was, he was persecuting Christians. He was trying to stop the spread of Christianity, okay? Listen to this. This is his complaint, okay? This is what he complained about. You'll see it on the screen. The impious Galileans, that's early Christians, they not only feed their own poor, but ours as well. Welcoming them into their agape, that means love, into their love. They loved them and welcomed them in. They attracted them as children are attracted with cakes. This is his complaint. Like, what a wonderful reason to be hated, church. If you're going to be hated, be hated because you love too much. Right? Be hated because you welcome people too much. Be hated because you meet needs too much. Be hated because you relentlessly adorn and put on and exemplify the gospel of love in Christ Jesus. Do you think if we, if we were like this, you think the world today would take notice? Do you think the world today would, would find that radically different? Radically different in a way that, that makes them take notice of what, of the, there's something different with those people. I think the world today would take notice. You see, the church distinct in Christ lives on mission. Will you live on it day by day? Because here's the result. Look at the text, right? Look at the text here. Praising God and having favor with all the people, verse 7. And the Lord added to their number. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You see, living on mission for Christ, it means living with the power that he gives. It means living with the radical power he gives. God uses our witness to show his great love. Right? To show his great love and to declare the gospel message. Church, we aren't the ones that save. We aren't the ones that, that do the saving. The apostles weren't the ones saving people. The, the apostles, no apostle ever changed a heart. I have never changed a heart. None of us here have ever changed a heart. But God uses us to declare the gospel message Because salvation comes from God alone. Look what it says in the text. The Lord added to their number day by day. You see, God saves by the Holy Spirit working powerfully to regenerate. That means make new. To regenerate the hearts of unbelievers. Saving them, saving us from the penalty of sin. Right? Saving us from the penalty of sin which separates us from God. And then as believers, sanctifying us as we live for Christ and not for ourselves. As we do that, we're growing in Christ-likeness and being saved from the power of sin in our lives. The Holy Spirit is the one who does this. And the Holy Spirit gives us in our soul a hope for eternity with Christ, where what? Where we will be saved from the presence of sin. The Holy Spirit regenerates us and saves us from the penalty of sin, which is death and separation of God forever. And then as believers, we are being saved from the power of sin. And we have the hope of eternity where we will be saved forever from the presence of sin to glorify God. We will be saved from the presence of sin forever. Believers, that's your future hope. 
That's your future hope and eternity forever with Christ our Savior. You see, the days are short. He's coming back soon. Are you living day by day distinct with uncommon witness in joy, in thankfulness, in love, declaring the gospel day by day in your homes? Are you declaring the gospel day by day in your homes? Is that something that is evident? If, if I were to spend a day in your home, would I hear the gospel? If I were to be invited over for dinner, would I hear the gospel in your home? Would I see the gospel lived out in your home? I pray that I would. What about, what about in your workplace? Or when you're out with your friends? What about when you're at school? Kids, when you're at school, day by day, does your life and your lip declare the gospel? Day by day. What about at the grocery store? What about when the lineup is really, really long? Are you declaring the gospel? Are you acting, adorning the gospel? Now, if you're here and you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, I want to tell you sincerely, I am, I'm so glad you're here. You're, if you are here and you have not professed Christ as your Savior, trust me, you are not here by accident. You are here by the grace of God and I am so glad that you are here. You see, it isn't by accident, but you, just as salvation is, was available then, we just looked at God's saving and sanctifying. Just as it was available then, it's available now to you. You see, without Jesus in your life, you have no hope for eternity. You don't have this hope of eternity forever with Christ our Savior that we've just been talking about. You don't have that you actually face an eternal punishment in death, separated from God forever. He is the source of all life, and you will be separated from life forever. But it doesn't have to be that way at all. It doesn't have to be that way at all. The gospel message, this gospel message of gospel distinction and salvation is freely available to you right now if you confess your need for Jesus to save you from the penalty of sin. Because this is something you cannot do on your own. Confess that Jesus is the Lord of your life. Believe in your heart that he came to earth to live a perfect life and to die on a cross, a death that he did not deserve. But he did it out of love to pay the penalty for your sin, for my sin, for all of our sin, so that we could be saved, forgiven. And he was raised up on the third day and he is now seated in glory so that you can have a sure hope, a sure hope of salvation and eternity with him. Believe in Jesus and be saved. And if that's you, I'd love to speak with you after. There's no greater thing to speak about. There's nothing greater to talk about with you, and I would love to speak about it with you after. Romans 10.13 tells us, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's look back at verse 42 again. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Church, we've heard from the truth of God's word today. We've heard it in fellowship together. We've heard it in prayer. And so it's only appropriate that we now break bread together in remembrance of what Christ has done for us. Church, Communion is a time to remember the death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a time to remember the sacrifice that he made on the cross over 2,000 years ago to pay for the penalty of our sin, the penalty which we deserved and a debt that we could never pay. 
He suffered and died so that we could receive the forgiveness of sin and walk in the forgiveness and freedom of new life available in him. Scripture tells us in Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5, Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. The two elements that we remember him with today represent just that. The bread that you'll have in your little two-pack cup there. The bread represents his body, which was crushed beyond recognition for us. And the juice represents the blood that was shed to cover every sin that we have ever made or will ever make. The reason for that is that we can walk in victory over sin, walk in freedom in our new life in him. Now, as we take this together, scripture commands us to examine ourselves. We're to examine ourselves, examine our hearts. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight to 29 says, let a person examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So in these next few minutes, as the elements are, are in our hands here, let's be still and let's be discerning before the Lord and ask him to examine our hearts and let's pray. Pray like this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test my anxious thoughts. See if there be in any offensive way in me and lead me in the path everlasting. And as the Lord reveals things in your heart, Church, take time to confess and repent of them in the quietness of your heart now so that today as you hear his voice, you won't harden your heart. Now, the remembrance of Christ's death through communion is meant for those who have personally confessed and trusted in and surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so as we said, if you're here today and you haven't taken that step of faith to believe in Jesus Christ for salvation, what I would ask is, is you just don't participate in communion. Right? That's out of love for you. And then please come and talk to me later. Talk to one of the leaders in this church later. We'd love to talk to you about what it means to, to believe in Jesus Christ, to have faith in him.